Amen. Good to see everyone today. Good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to see you all. It's good to be here. Uh, I love the church. I love SCAC. I love everything that we stand for, everything we're trying to do. I just love the church in general, just when the people of God come together and what we stand for with um, the kingdom of God and salt and light and even with all our brokennesses and all our quirkiness, you know. I love the church and love how God continues to to move his people forward. If you're a newcomer here today, too, we're really glad you're, you're with us. And uh, you come on a, a good time to at least hear the announcement that on the last Sunday of uh, this month that we are going to have our newcomer luncheon, okay? And so it's going to be at 1130 after service in room A4. And it's just going to be a really fun time um, to get to know you and for you to get to know some of the leaders here. And so if you've been coming to SCAC for the past six months or even past year, or you've never attended one of these luncheons before, it's really awesome. We have a huge spread of Ezel's chicken. It's going to be so good, so fun. So you are, you are invited, okay? Just let, uh, let one of us, just let one of us know. Um, also, let's see here. Uh, the community dinner night is this Wednesday, uh, February 15th, 5.30. And so that's something we've been doing this for several years now. It's just a great bridge between uh, our church and then our community that we're ministering to here uh, at Dearborn and in, uh, on Beacon Hill. So it's just a lot of fun. You get to meet a lot of new people. Uh, a lot of kids will be there. So if you love kids, you know, just come join us. But it's just a great time to really connect our church community and the community that we're seeking to minister to. It's just a really powerful time. So I want to encourage you guys to come to that too. Um, we, are, we are starting, um, we started last week a new series called The Blank Between Us, and um, if you haven't heard the message, the first message from last week, just want to encourage you to go back and take a uh, listen to that and to really understand where we're going in this particular series, because this particular series I think is really relevant uh, to what we're all thinking about and, and um, kind of immersed in every day, the different conversations, national conversations, and of course, a lot of the division that's going on. I think that was what was so interesting was after last week's message, um, the, the number one question I got, because I had a particular illustration about Angel getting into a car accident, and my first response as a loving, caring husband was, you know, whose fault was it? And so everyone wanted to know after the message, so whose fault was it? That was the number one question. And so I'm here to tell you that it was not Angel's fault that it was an, an older Asian male who just slammed into the car and, you know, uh, ran, ran, the, ran a red light. And so just want you to know that it was not her fault, okay? She's an awesome, awesome driver. Okay, uh, you can turn uh, you know, to your, in your text to uh, Acts chapter 17. And, and again, we're in the second week of this message. And today, last week's message was the bridge between us. And I try to understand how where, where we're starting with this, with all of the national conversations, with all the divisions going on, is that Jesus built a bridge to us through his son, Jesus. That is the model of peacemaking in our world, which we desperately need. And we have to be peacemakers as well to the rest of the world. Jesus modeled that for us. That's the bridge between us. Today, I want to talk a little bit more practical terms because we all feel it. There's a particular space between us. There's a particular distance that we all feel. And of course, with the election, we're feeling that distance and that space in a lot more uh, tangible ways. And what I've said before last week is that when it comes to these national conversations, whether you're on the left side or on the right side, typically the Christians, we fall into two camps of response. And the first camp is that we just argue. We get further entrenched. You post stuff on Facebook. 
of writers or blogs or news articles that support your idea. And of course, you demonize the opposition and dehumanize the opposition that gets you nowhere. On the second path is just doing nothing. Things are too complicated. I don't really know what's going on. I don't want to get involved. And so we just decide we're not going to do anything. Now, both responses get us nowhere. It does not move. It does not heal. It does not help. All right. And so what is the Christian response? And we talked about is that Jesus himself was in a very political, politically charged environment. He himself was an alien. He was the immigrant. He was, the poor. he was poor all his life. He lived his entire life under Roman colonization. And in that time, remember, there was a left wing. There was a right wing. There were different voices. There were terrorists. There were people who wanted to overthrow the Roman government. Jesus, he could have picked the side. He could have said the left is right or the right is right or the up is right. He could have picked a side and said, choose this. Instead, he gave us these timeless words, Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called Republicans. No, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called Democrats. No, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So there's something very distinctive in that particular time of such turmoil, and Jesus said that if you would be peacemakers, people won't be able to peg you like, you're not exactly Republican, you're not exactly Democrat, I'm not sure where you are, you're like God. And, and I'll take that designation uh, more than anything else. I think what's distressing too today is that we used to have, we, we have this illustration, right, in our, the way that we talk called about the table, right? In, in our tolerant society, Everyone is welcome to the table. Everyone has a seat to the table. Everyone has a right to express their voice at the table. The problem with these days, because we're so polarized, it feels like the table has been turned over and all the chairs have been kicked down and no one's going to sit at the table anymore, right? I mean, that's the way it feels. There's, there's no civil discourse. There's no civil dialogue around these issues. No one is at the table anymore. We're just all entrenched. No one wants to come talk to each other. And so that's why I think as Christians in this particular season and time, even more so, we, we, we need to be the people that would, would come and go into the room and clean it up, put the table back upright, put the chairs in place, and start inviting people back, people that you would not agree with, people, and people that you do agree with, and be the peacemaker and be the bitch that you can invite people back to the table, and we're not going to be there to control the table either. We also just say that we have a place at the table too, yes, as Christians, but we don't need to control, we don't need to dictate. But that's one of the things that we can do. So as far as Jesus, the one who said, you know, to be peacemakers, and he said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, our work is to put the table back and to bring people back to the table. So we talked about last week we're going to be bridge building, not bridge burning, and that if you want to be a bridge, we got to be able, you need to be able to touch both sides. You need to be immersed yourself in both sides. And so how do we do that? Practically, how do we do that? So there's a remarkable account in Acts chapter 17, and hopefully you're there. And this is a particular time in Paul's ministry journey. And he was in Thessalonica. He's in Greece. He was in Thessalonica and Berea before. And he was doing a lot of ministry there. But he ran into some conflict and his other, and his, his other co-workers are telling him, in Thessalonica and Brea, it's too hot to handle. Right now, you need to get out of here. Why don't you go down 300 miles? Go to Athens. It's on the coast. Take a break. This was supposed to be like a vacation for Paul, all right? And so he travels 300 miles. you got to be pretty tired. 
um, south all the way down to the coast of Greece and the Mediterranean into this amazing, this uh, beautiful city uh, of Athens. And he's supposed to rest and relax. He's supposed to be on vacation. And he's supposed to wait a couple weeks or how it might be a month or, or so. And Silas and Timothy were going to join him later. But he's just alone by himself. Time to take a break. And here we are, pick it up in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, and I just get this picture of Paul, just, he's just too type A. He doesn't know how to relax, you know. He just, you know, he's waiting for them. Hurry up, you guys are going to come. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue. You know, Paul just can't turn it off, right? There's no vacation for him. He saw the city was full of idols, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. He just continued doing what he, what he always does. But I love this opening description because it gives us the reason for Paul's actions that, uh, that are to follow in the rest of the you know, 20, 20 or so verses. Paul, he couldn't rest. He couldn't relax. He looked around the city, and he was just incredibly, he says, distressed at what was going on. Now, just think about the other different emotions that Luke could have said Paul, you know, that he noticed in Paul. Paul could have been angry at the city. He could have been incredibly judgmental. He could have been annoyed. And for a lot of us who have differences with other people, he could have just been condemning of others. But what happened with Paul when he saw people with such divergent, such differing worldview and ideology from him, his first peacemaking emotion was compassion. Compassion. Compassion and empathy for those who see the world very differently from you. For example, Republicans and Democrats. Did you know also that you're the way that you see the world? Did you know that your political ideology can become an idol? Did you know that your particular biblical worldview and the way that you frame things and see things in the world, did you know that that can actually be an idol? How do you know if your biblical framework or your attitude, how do you know whether or not that's become an idol? It's really simple. Anger, hatred, lack of compassion, lack of empathy. If you have that towards your neighbor who disagrees with you, when you create a space, a distance between you and another person that cannot be crossed, you know that your idolatry has become, you know that your ideology has become idolatry. Athens was full of idols everywhere, every stall, every business, every public space was filled with different gods and different idols. It created a space between Paul and the city, but instead of it being a dividing space for Paul, it invoked compassion. Compassion. Have you ever been in a space where it's full of idols? Have you ever been in a space that's full of idols? Uh, my father, uh, some of you guys know, is, is Buddhist. And, and one time I made a deal with my dad. And I said, look, dad, this is my 20s. I said, look, dad, I'll go with you to the Buddhist temple if you next week will go with me to the church. I, I felt I wanted to create this Elijah moment, right? Let's check out your God and we'll check out my God. Let's see who God wins, right? I mean, that's, that's what was going through my mind, right? And so we went to the Buddhist temple first. And the entryway into the, the meeting place was just filled with shelves and shelves and shelves. I mean, from the floor to the top of these gold Buddhas. It was really odd. 
walking in, into that environment, as, as you would imagine. We took a seat in the meeting room, and then at the start of the service, we all stood up as the head monk walked in, and I was just shocked. I was just completely shocked because I was expecting to see an Asian male, right? Someone who looked like a monk. But instead, what came through was a white, middle-aged woman who I later found out was supposed to be the reincarnation of another ancient famous monk. I don't know how they found out, but that's who she, that's who she was supposed to be. And then my dad, like everyone else, bowed down like, like this and just stayed in that position until she walked the whole way from the back entrance all the way to the top. And it's really hard for me to describe like what I was feeling, just the emotions. Distressed is definitely a good place to start because I just felt like, no, I mean, just no. Because it was a lot of people, and then that was my dad. And that was the first time I saw my dad, not as my dad, but I just saw him as another person who was a seeker, who's trying to find answers and trying to figure out life. But there's a part was just, no, don't bow down to a person. You know, don't pray to an idol that will not answer you. I just felt an incredible love for my dad combined with distressing, distressing sadness. At the same time, though, I was so glad to be in that space because, like I said before, if you want to be a bridge builder, you're going to have to touch both sides. You're going to go to have to go to some of these places. I, I was deep, deep, deep in the place. I was immersed in, in, on that Sunday in Buddhism. I even thought at one point, right, am I compromising my faith by being here? But that's the complexity of peacemaking. Peacemaking will take you out of your comfort zone to risky spaces in order to reach people reach others that need to be reached, all right? Peacemakers, take, peacemaking takes you out of your comfort zone to risky spaces in order to reach others that need to be reached. And so what's also interesting about Paul in, in this foreign city of Athens is that he reasoned, he says, in the synagogue and then out in the marking place. And I think this is a great picture of how we do our peacemaking because for Paul, the synagogue was his first space, we all have like a first space, a space that we're most comfortable in because the distance between Paul and the Jews was very short. And so he would always, when he went to a new place, he would always find out if there was a synagogue and he would go there and he would typically, he would preach there first. And then he would venture out into the marketplaces for whoever would listen to him. And I think that's kind of like how we operate as well. The reason why a lot of people like church and like going to church is because, I mean, look around us, right? Just took a look around us. Just take a look around the room real quick. Go ahead, look behind you, in front of you, right? I mean, what you see is you see a lot of people that look like you, right? We're kind of comfortable in this space because we all have kind of brown skin, brown tones, you know, Asian eyes, Asian features, and things like that. People who believe like us, maybe, who have the same values of us, maybe the same education, same ethnicity. It's a reason why, honestly, a lot of people like Sundays is because they can know they can go to a first space, and it can be just for them, and it gives us energy to enter the second space, which is the marketplace. The problem, the problem is this, is that sometimes as Christians, we get really confused because we think that the first space is for us. And we build out the first space like it's supposed to be for us. And so it's really confusing because when you have the energy to go out into the second space, into the marketplace, 
and you try to witness and try to, try to bridge that gap with your friends, and maybe, maybe, maybe you get that friend to come to church. But when they come to church, they feel so out of place because they don't feel like this first space is theirs. They feel so foreign, so alien. Sometimes we feel like in our first space that this place is just meant for us and that we can lock the rest of the world out. And I experienced that the really, real hard way. Because the first week we went with my dad to the Buddhist temple, the second week was like, come with me to church, right? And so instead of taking him, I was going to a Korean Southern Baptist church, very conservative, very fundamental. But the problem is that it was just filled. It was, we are a very small congregation, maybe 15, you know, on a good Easter Sunday. Uh, that's the English ministry. And um, it was mostly 20-somethings. And so I was like, I'm not going to take my dad there. So I'm going to take him to the, one of the established Chinese churches. It was like just a mile down from where we live. And so we go there, and, you know, I'm really excited, I mean, to bring my dad. This is the first time my dad's been to church in, I don't know, decades, right? Because he was seeking before when he was maybe in his, in his mid-20s or something. And so I was excited and, and uh, praying a lot and just uh, you had some anticipation and some, some hope that something interesting and something, something good, you know, might happen. So we went to church, and we did the kind of normal things. We sang songs little prayer, some announcements, and then the pastor, you know, uh, comes up. And um, he, he gets into his message, and he starts talking about Sunday school. And he starts talking about the importance of Sunday school. And then, he's, then he talks about um, that, you know, the attendance in Sunday school has been a little bit low, and people have been late coming to Sunday school, and that we need to go to Sunday school. And so I just thought this was just the opening illustration that launches us into the rest of the message. But then 20 minutes into the sermon, I realized this was the message. This is what we were talking about. And I just remember just thinking, I started looking around the room. I just felt this other feeling of distress. I was like, what is going on here? Did, is this the right service? Am I in the annual business meeting? You know, you know, one of those things, right? I mean, is this the right service? Because we need to talk about something a little bit deeper than just Sunday school attendance wasn't good enough, and so we need to get more people to go to Sunday school. You know, I'm thinking, where's the gospel? Where's the relevancy? And like, Jesus, work with me. I mean, have you ever had a thought like that? Like, you're doing all this stuff for God, and you're trying to, like, God, I got my dad here, right? My dad's like hardcore. This is the only time that he's going to get to church. So bring the gospel, bring relevancy, bring something to shorten the distance between the non-believer and the church, between the non-believer and God. Just do something. I don't want to hear about Sunday school. But the whole time was about Sunday school. I'm not exaggerating. It was 35 minutes. I'm not embellishing about going to Sunday school, about being on time for Sunday school, how none of people were going to Sunday school and how we need to go to Sunday school. We didn't go to Sunday school, by the way, afterwards. We did not. We left. And that was so distressing. I had nothing to say to my dad on the way home. All I did was apologize to him. I had to apologize on behalf of the church and tell him that's usually not the sermon topic. But when I look back, I'm thinking, you know what? I was probably just naive. There's probably been a lot of sermons like that that have no relevancy. It's only for people on the inside. has no room to peacemake for those on the outside. Sometimes we forget that the church isn't just about us, but we're supposed to be building a place where everyone can find a home. Peacemaking at church is building a space where everyone 
feels welcome. This needs to be really clear to us now more than ever. Who's the church for? Is the church going to be just for Republicans? Is the church going to be just for Democrats? Is the church going to be just for Libertarians? Is that how we're going to divide our churches up now? Is the church going to be just for Christians only? Who's the church for? Let's say it all together. Everyone, right? Who's the church for? Everyone. It's got to be for everyone. And if we're somehow okay that the church is going to be just for Republicans or just for Democrats, then y'all should quit church and I should quit being a pastor because then I just become a puppet for whichever party we think we align with. What are we doing if we're going to divide ourselves in the church like that? So let's do it. How do we become a church? How do we be a peacemaking church? Well, we look at Paul. And Paul, what he tries to do is he, he realizes that this city is so far away. The space between him and the city is so distant. He's trying to build a bridge to a city and to the people that he is at the most fundamental odds with. Let me put it in ideological terms so that you can, you can grasp how distant he is from the, from the city and how distant the city is from him. Paul, in his ideology, he is a staunched, entrenched He's not giving up an inch. He is a monotheist. Does that make sense? He believes there is one God and one creator, and that's it. Very exclusive. But in the election of Israel is an inclusivity because they're supposed to bring all nations together, right? But in his mind, he's in a city full of idols, but he in his mind, his ideology, his biblical theology, he is entrenched in monotheism. But he is in a city of polytheism. Does that make sense? There is no greater dividing line of Jewish ideology than the oneness, the singularity of God. This is what he has to face. This is who he can judge. So how does he bridge that gap? How does he build a bridge to the city? Verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? I think that's really funny. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul that we're talking about. You know, he's supposed to be this person doing cross-cultural ministry, and, you know, he's a really powerful preacher and teacher, but they, they just, they're, they're hearing what he's saying. He's like, well, who's this babbler? Others remark, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and their resurrection, and that's where we would go too. We would say, well, I'm a Christian, and so I'm going to stand up for being a Christian, and I'm going to talk about my Christian biblical worldview, my Christian theology, and I'm going to start with Jesus, and I'm going to start with the cross, and that's what Paul was doing. But they're saying, you make no sense. Like all the stuff that you're saying, it's like babbling. I don't get it. And I love this because Paul's having a bad day. And I've had bad days up here on the sermon too, right? Y'all been through it. Sorry about that, okay? But I've had bad days too, you know, on a sermon. He's teaching, he's preaching, but no one is tracking. No one is following him. He's talking about the important things, the central things, Jesus, the cross, Death, resurrection, sin. But it just makes no sense to the people. Why? Because Paul, at this moment, he's speaking from his own culture. He's speaking from his own experience. And he's expecting the city to conform and his hearers to conform to him. But somehow, Paul, he makes a good enough impression. Maybe he was likable enough. Because in verse 19, it says this. It says, they took him 
And they brought him to a meeting at the Areopagus. And they said to him, may we know this new teaching. Uh, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And we would like to know what they all mean. So it's, it's really interesting. What Paul does, the Areopagus was the center. Paul did enough bridge building where they invited him to, to the center of the city's kind of civic, cultic, cultural, religious uh, meetings, festivals, um, uh, um, civil, uh, uh, um, governmental meetings, and so forth. They, they gave him front and center stage to the place where they, uh, so many of their city's decorations and, and city celebrations are made. They gave him that space. They gave him another chance before a larger audience of Greeks. And so here's what he's got to do. Paul has got to find a way to reach the people. Instead of him saying to people, you got to, you know, come and listen on my terms. He's got to figure a way to bridge the gap. Because he could have taken a hardline approach and say, y'all just need to repent, right? But instead, I want you to see this beautiful bridge that Paul builds with people that he is diametrically opposed with ideologically, theologically, and spiritually. Verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see, he's not talking about Jesus. He says, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the things you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. I love this. You know what Paul does? I mean, just right off the bat, Instead of coming because he was doing Jesus before, he's talking about the cross before, he's talking about the resurrection, that's not where he starts. Where he starts is he says, I compliment you on your polytheism. You all are so religious. You're so spiritual. You're some of the most spiritual people I've ever met because you have a God dedicated to everything. And just in case we miss the God, you know, you, you were, I see you were so concerned just in case you missed the God, you have an altar to an unknown God, just in case we missed one. <laughs> and he compliments him. And I kind of wonder why this is going on. I kind of wonder if there was a Jewish person in the audience at the Areopagus. I wonder if they would have been judging Paul, like, Paul, you're like complimenting the polytheists? I mean, are you compromising the faith right now? I wonder if Paul had a sense if he felt like he was compromising the faith. But he started because peacemakers, he understands what to do. If you're going to build the bridge right, with peacemaking. Peacemakers, you got to find common ground with the person that you're diametrically opposed to. Peacemakers find common ground in order to build the relationship. That's what you do, and that's what Paul did. You know, when I was uh, in, in high school, and I had a friend, and, and I, again, I did not grow up in church, so I have no church experience. I'm, I'm, as, I'm as secular as, you know, whatever, a, a high school, you know, teenager growing up. And one of my friends, one of my best friends, her name was Antoinette. We were such good friends. And she became, one day, all, I went to school, and she just started talking about Jesus, okay? And again, it just, it, it really weirded me out because she just went from a normal person, all right, to a Jesus freak in one day, okay? Some of y'all may have had that experience, all right? And she just kept on talking about Jesus all the time. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, who are you, you know? And, um, and she would talk, and, and I would just kind of um, humor her and just listen. And me and our other friends, we'd have these side conversations like, what happened to her, man? This is like, this is weird. She, she's different now. And then one day, 
she talked to me. She kind of called me. She says, Roy, here's a Bible. I want you to take it. And I want you to read the book of Revelation. Now, you all been to like different, you know, sermons and teachings before. You all have asked that question before. I have a friend who's a non-believer. What book should I start them with? It's like Luke or Matthew or John. Maybe, maybe Genesis, right? But it's never Revelation, right? It's never that book, right? But for me, that's the kind of weird person I am, all right? She, she had me pegged because during that time, I was really into these video games and these stories and these fantasies about Dungeons and Dragons. Anyone ever do that? Anyone been there? Okay, no, 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 right? Okay, yeah, see, this is the weird pastor. This is, this is, this is who I am, okay? And so she knew, she knew that that would be like, like a place, like a common catch point that, would, that might capture me. She said, Roy, I know you're like, and she's like, read this because it's all about dragons. <laughs> That's what she said. Read this. It's like, you had me at dragons. And so I, I went home and I read all 22 chapters of, of Revelation, and it was amazing. It blew my mind. I did not understand what was going on, but the imagery was so trippy. I mean, I just could not understand what was going on, but it was so amazing. Because especially when I got to the dragons, they were just really cool. But what captured me besides the dragons was the last chapter when there's this description, right, of the new heaven and the new earth. And God wipes away every tears and there's no more pain. And you have these two trees. I didn't understand what the trees were, but they sounded beautiful. And they had the, had the, the, uh, the river that ran through it. And that there was no more pain. There's no more tears, and like all the, all the wrongs were made right, and all the injustices of the world were no more. And I just remember thinking, if that, if there is a God, and if that is the end goal of God, I could be for that. I could be for that. That's an amazing vision. I, I could go for that. And it was all because she knew I liked dragons. She told me to read the book of Revelation. And it just captured me. Why? Because she knew, she understood that she's going to reach me, her friend that she, that, who's not a Christian. She's going to have to build a different bridge. She's going to have to help me. She's going to have to touch, like I said, the other side. And so look how Paul continues to build this amazing bridge. He says, the God who made, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in, live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives, gives life, gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Notice, Paul, he's not talking about Jesus anymore. He's not talking about the cross. He's not talking about the resurrection. He will a little bit later, okay? He gets in trouble. But he starts... He starts where everyone is. He starts at the creation story. You know why? It's because every culture and every ancient culture has always had a creation story. And he says this is the one place where we can get meet because, you know what, his background, he has a creation story too. And then he says this is where he starts to, you know, go a little bit into Jesus. He says from one man, again, he doesn't name him, but from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. 
and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. He's, he's relating this back to that, you know, the unknown God. He's saying, this is the unknown God. This is the one who, who created you so for this moment so you might know him. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. See, you kind of figured him out. You figured there was an unknown God. He's reaching out to you. And then verse 28, that's in quotes, right? He's quoting someone, right? For in him, him, that's God, we live and move and have our being. That's one quote. And then as some of your poets have said, another quote, we are his offspring. And this is so important, just so that you're not confused. These quotes are not from the Old Testament. In him we live and move and have our being. That's part of a song. That is not from the Old Testament. We are his offspring is not from the Old Testament. Paul is quoting their poetry. He is quoting Greek philosophy at this time. One of them is from Horatius, the Sicilian Stoic philosopher. Another one, Epimenides, a Cretan philosopher. Paul is building a bridge. He's saying, you know what? In the space between us, it seems really far, but there's a truth between us that brings us really close. Because your poets and your ideology and your philosophers say that in God, it's in him that we live and move and have our being. And, God, and Paul's saying, yes, that's right. That's what my God says as well. And your God say that we are his offspring. And oh my goodness, that just, res- Paul's like, of course, Yes, it's through Abraham, the line, his descendants would be as, you know, as the, most, as, as the sea of the sands and as, as, as the stars. We are this God's children. We are his offspring. Yes, I believe that too. He's not compromising. He's listening. I mean, just think about what he had to do to come up with all this. He listened to their culture. He listened to where they were coming from. He listened and understood their ideology, even to the point where he was able to study some of their philosophers. He's not compromising. He's peacemaker. Peacemakers listen. Peacemakers listen to the opposing side. In the space between us that you create with another person, you always need to remember there's a truth between you that can bring you together. See, what's so distressing about today is that people are so polarized that No one will admit to any common ground. That's why there's no one sitting at the table anymore. It's like this. If you're a Republican, there's only one kind of Republican, right? You just have to be a person who's extremely on the right. Same thing, if you're a Democrat, there's only one kind of Democrat, right? It's this person who's extremely on the left. See, I've never heard anyone say on the right, on the right, who's who's right-leaning, say to the left, you've got a really good point. I've never seen that done. I've never seen anyone, you know, on the left uh, say to the right, you've got a really good point. I agree with that. Paul teaches us to find common ground in order to build trust and relationships so that people will be open to hearing the deeper truths of the gospel. We've got to find common ground. I've never, well, okay, I'm never on, I'm not on Facebook hardly ever, all right? But I'm just saying that I've never seen maybe another, a person who might be on the left, and I've never had them post an article of a person on the right and say, you know what, even though I don't agree with everything, like, this, this is pretty good. I've never seen a person on, on, on the left or, or right post an article of another opposing viewpoint that they say, you know what, I'm not inclined this way, but they, this person on the right or left, whatever, they have a really good, they have a really good, uh, good point. 
We don't do that. Do you know why we don't do that? Actually, I'm not sure why we don't do that. I think it's pride. <laughs> but I also think that whenever you post something up, people automatically assume that you're all of that, that you're in, all in. Paul teaches us when it comes left, right, up to people you don't, you, that you fundamentally don't agree with, you need to do the order, work of peacemaking, and you do that by finding common ground in order to build trust in relationships. Church, SCAC, I know that you guys know how to do this. I think we might be losing our way just a little bit because of the political environment, but I know that you know how to do this. We've been doing this work of peacemaking with people that are, that were, where the narrative is that we are opposed with the school for over a decade, okay? And, and, and just let me tell you a little bit how this peacemaking's work. Um, right now, um, we, are, we do these, me, Stacy, and some others, with the Seattle Public Schools. We partner with Seattle Public Schools. We put on these workshops. Our second one is this Thursday, and you can pray for that. It's called the School Church Partnership Creation Event. All right? Some of y'all know about it. It's really long. But it's, it's a weird term because I don't know who else is doing this in the country, right? But the idea is this. We prepare pastors of local churches and principals of Seattle Public Schools. We, we've called them. We've let them know they have a partner, and they've both pre-decided they're going to partner together. All right? Now, and then once we get them together in the room, we do like a little workshop to establish that partnership. And I work, we, in our team, we work with a team with me, Stacey, and then others from the Seattle Public Schools. Now, we've become really good friends, but not everyone on our team is a Christian. We've become good friends, but not everyone is coming from a biblical standpoint or worldview. There's a woman on our team. She's Jewish. It's very Jewish. She works for Seattle Public School size, uh, School side. And we've been doing a lot of bridge building. And one day in our planning meetings, I knew, I knew, because of the content that I have to bring, I knew that this was going to test our bridge. I was not purposely trying to test the bridge. I just knew that the content that I had was going to test the bridge. Because in one of the sections of, of the workshop, there's a person from Seattle Public Schools, and we said, we need to do the five, you know, the five, top five principles for partnership building for a principle, for a public principle, Okay. And so I'm supposed to do, after she's done, I'm supposed to get up and say, here are the five partnership principles for pastors of how to do it well. All right? So when it was, as I'm putting my, my workshop stuff together, you know, planning for this, writing it down, what's number one on my list? I know what's number one on my list. It's easy. Like, if, if you're going to do, and the reason that we do partnerships uh, and bridge building with the school, it's because of the gospel, it's the gospel of reconciliation, right? It's the gospel that God has made peace with us and reconciled to us that we also need to make peace with others. And God is not just reconciling God and man, but Paul says God is reconciling all things, all things in the world. Wherever there's injustice, wherever there's inequity, we need to be there to make it right. That's why we do our bridge, make, um, you know, bridge making over there at the school. And so I, I, I came to the meeting. I said, okay, guys, I've got something um, I just need to put it out there. I need some consensus uh, from you all. When it comes to me talking to pastors, and if I'm going to give you the starting with the number one principle, I just want to let you know that for me, it's, it's the gospel. That, that's how I talk to, pa to, to pastors as well. It, it's the gospel. And so are you okay? <laughs> are you okay with me presenting this information in a room full of pastors and public school principals? Is that Okay. You know, I'm just leaving it out there. I'm not saying I have to have my way. I'm just saying leaving it out there. Peacemaking. 
And so there's one Christian on the team, the Christian said, well, I'm not sure, because it's going to be a pretty diverse room with all these public school principals in there. But then it was the Jewish person who said, you know what? Actually, I think it's okay. All right? And this person is responsible for interfacing with a lot of different companies, a lot of different CBOs, a lot of different community organizations, how they inter intersect with school. And she just said, you know what? I, I think it'll be okay. Um, if that's what drives a pastor in a church, if that's what's needed for them to understand how these partnerships work, then I think you should go ahead and do it. And inside my head, right, was like, I can't believe that I just got permission from Seattle Public Schools to speak the gospel in a public setting to a bunch of principals, right? And so here's my outline. This is what you know. You know here's my outline for the five best practices, right? And the first fill in the blank is the gospel. And I did that last November, and I, get to do that, and I get to do that this Thursday. It's awesome. Isn't that awesome? That's something you guys should be clapping about because, I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, that's all about bridge building. That's all about building trust. And I would have never, we would have never had an opportunity like this if we did not do the work of bridge building. You bring people together. See, here's what I learned, is that if you build a bridge toward another person, they will build a bridge towards you. I'll have to write that down. If you build a bridge toward others, they will build a bridge towards you. Now, here's a little caveat, okay? This is what that, that is. If you build a bridge toward others, they will bridge, bridge, bridge towards you. That's just experience. It's not truth. It's experience. That is an experiential statement. It's not truth. Because peacemaking is hard. Peacemaking is very difficult. Because there will be people out there who do not, no matter what you do, they will not build a bridge back. There are some people who will never build a bridge. There are some people, you guys know it, even in personal relationships, they will not forgive you. In interpersonal relationships, they just want to be right. They just need to be right. They can only see your fault, not theirs. And you can't do much about it. In a way, you have to move on. But as best and as much church as it depends on you. Be a peacemaker and a bridge builder towards others. <clears throat> in church, if we don't, if, if, if we can, if I cannot change your mind, if, if we cannot change our mind about this, let me tell you what's at stake, what's at stake for you, all right? In the next four years, because every day is being defined by what's coming out of the White House or what President Trump does. And every single day, that divides people and polarizes people, okay? I mean, I don't think it's gonna stop. It's gonna be day one, two, three, four. I mean, we're gonna however many, 365 times four, okay? I mean, it's gonna be really annoying. But here it is, all right? Here's what's at stake for you if, you, if, if we're not gonna take the peacemaking route. You're in the next four years, this is what I see, your friendships, and your relationships with your coworkers, your reputation in the community, our reputation as a church is going to be redefined. It is going to be redefined. It's already happening right now. The space that you create between others is going to redefine. In four years, people are going to, are, by the way that you act, they're going to figure out who you are. You are going to be labeled if you're not already. In four years, your relationships are going to be redefined because in four years, you're going to be either known as a staunch liberal or you're going to be known as a staunch conservative. 
or a staunch whatever. I'm just telling you, it's already happening. People, already, people who are close friends are already feeling the static because we voted differently, because we post certain things that create more and more distance between us. And if this keeps going on, in four years, all your relationships, all your close friendships are going to be redefined by a political ideology. You have to figure out, is that what you want? Is that how it's supposed to be? Is that how we need to be as a church? You're, you're, you're going to be defined. I, I'm going to be defined. Some of you are, going to, are, are trying to figure out, where, where's Roy stand? Like, who did he vote for? And, you know, does he lean to the left or to the right? Like, is he trying to change me? Like, some of y'all are trying to figure that out. We're all going to be redefined. So you can be either defined by a political party in four years, or we got to figure out what it means so that we can be defined as a follower of Jesus Christ. Because I don't want to be stuck and pegged as a political party. Do you? I hope not. Peacemaking is a path that moves beyond political ideologies so that you can love others, bring others together in spite of political differences. That is the gospel. That's what SCAC, what we model, that we can show that we can live in peace because the gospel of peace is greater than a personal opinion. That is what is needed. Now, moving forward in this series, let me just give you three things. I got to close this up really quick. Number one, okay? This is really important. I am not trying to change your politics. I am not trying to change your politics. That's completely unethical. Um, we're a 501c3. Um, you know, <laughs> just legally, we're not supposed to, you know, we can't do these. There's, the government has restricted the church. Can you believe that? The government has restricted the church. That hasn't stopped the church, though, actually, from endorsing particular candidates. But it would be completely unethical of me as your pastor to try to make everyone Republican or Democrat, whatever like that. Actually, I, there's no meaning to me. I just want us to be Christian. I just want us to follow Christ, right? What I am trying to do is this, up front. I'm trying to teach us and challenge you to be a peacemaker, not a bridge builder, uh, to be a bridge, bridge builder, not a bridge burner. This needs to be a space, SCAC, where everyone belongs, where everyone can find a home. Number two, instead of arguing position, you need to organize for your position. That's my second challenge. One of the criticisms that both the left and the right have of their own parties is that they're all talk and no action. A lot of people can say that about the church too. So here's what it is. For example, okay, because this needs to be a place where Republicans, Democrats, Socialism, Libertarians can all, all be together, okay? We can all worship God together. For example, if you vote a Republican, all right? Is anyone want to raise their hand and vote a Republican? No, I'm just kidding. You don't need to do that. Okay. All right. So if you vote a Republican, and it was because of a deeply held biblical conviction that life begins in the womb, and you want a conservative Supreme Court justice, then praise God. All right? I'll support you in that. All right? But here's my challenge to you. It's not enough. It's not enough. All right? Go do something about it. I just found out. There's a church, it's not our church, but there's another church. They have a small group. And this small group, once a year, has a fundraiser for the high school students at South Lake High School, which is right in the heart of the Rainier Valley, okay? And they do it for pregnant, uh, pregnant and teen moms. They do that every year. 
And, and I'm just thinking, I've heard that. It's like, that's incredible. That, that's just so amazing. You know, it's not just people, you know, who are against abortion or things like that. And if you look at the abortion statistics, the highest are in the African-American communities. And so they're just not arguing for it. They, they actually go and do something about it. They're actually having relationships with people. So it's not enough just to say, I, this is my position. Go actually do something about it. That's amazing what this one small group is doing. That kind of ministry is preventative. If you voted Democrat in the last election out of a deeply held biblical value for the protection of the alien, the immigrant, and the poor, stop posting on Facebook, okay? And go out and volunteer in one of the many organizations, whether it's on the east side or here in Seattle, so many nonprofits that deal directly with this particular population. Stop arguing and start organizing. And here's, here's what could be like really interesting, right? You have a, a staunch you're a Republican, you say, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go do something. And you find yourself in a public school and a public, you know, public school space, and you're ministering to some people who this is an abortion issue for you. And then you have this other person who's a liberal, you know, and, um, and she wants to go in that space where, you know, it's the alien, immigrant, and poor. And she finds out she's, she ends up in the same space as you are. You know, and then you're, all of a sudden you're working together with the same group. You have the same, oh my gosh, we have the same values. And oh my gosh, she's really cute and you have married and you get kids and you can take me later, you know. No, just kidding. But you know, I mean, you just find out that these people that you think you're so totally opposed to. And you find out you're actually working for the same people and working side by side and together. All because you decided to peacemake. And people who are on the other side are no longer demonized. Number three, last one. Utilize, oh man, the 101% rule. This is really, okay, I got to do this really quick. This is what has happened, <clears throat> a lot of you. When some of you found out that the person next to you voted for Trump, you were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. That was wrong, that's unethical, that's who are you, you're the demon, you're the devil. And so you took this one slice, you did, admit it, admit it, Ben Mao, admit it. So you took this one slice, and you looked at the person and said, I can't believe they voted that way, and it discolored everything. You ever had that? in a friendship before, like you're really good friends with someone, and do this one thing to annoy you, and that discolored everything. They became really bad. This 1% of their life discolored, discolored 100% of that relationship of who you thought they were. We've all, we've all done that before. I want you to know, just, this is just really practical to help you. It works in the opposite way. For the people that you can't believe they did something, and, and you now have this like static between them, all you need to do is remember 1% of them that was good. Just remember this 1% when they, they helped you out, when they paid for a meal, when they said something encouraging to you, you know, they helped you move. I, I don't know. They opened the door for you, okay? 1%, one, 1%, all right? This 1% of something good that this person did for you, that can begin to color 100% and they can become human again. Because when, here's the thing, I know this is when we demonize other people because of their views that are different from us, that is of the devil itself. You're being influenced by the devil himself when you start demonizing others because that's not who we are. In the end, when um, Paul says, when they, uh, Luke says, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others says, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. By the way, don't miss that. It says some of the people became followers of Paul and believed, not followers of Jesus and believed. You know why? Because when you're out there in the marketplace and you're out there trying to peacemake, some people need to believe in you before they can believe in Jesus. Does that make sense? People need to see the example of you before they can understand who Jesus is. 
Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Only maybe a few people came to Christ at that time. So church, we need to find a way to come together. Our world just keeps finding more and more ways to divide us, to polarize us, to build more walls, more ways to demonize one another, to make each other be the enemy. But if we are going to be peacemakers out there, we need to learn how to be peacemakers here. The church is supposed to be a place where everyone belongs. And as SCAC, we're going to stand against the trend of polarization, and we're going to bring people together. Amen? Amen. Let's do that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day and this time. And we can talk about these things that are really, 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 um, a lot of people don't know how to approach them. Um, think it's too hot to handle in church. But uh, we don't want to be fearful of that. We just want to be courageous <clears throat> in how we move forward and courageous in following Jesus in a time where there's so much division and it's affecting your body as well. And I pray that everyone here, that there would be a kind of a resonance that, we want the body of Christ as much as possible. We want the body of Christ to be unified. And this is the place for, all, for, for everyone here. This is our first space. This is our first space. And, and I pray that as we took that moment to look around the room, that there would be this maybe a little bit of anxiety in us that would say, you know what, with the people that's across the aisle from me or sitting next to me and in back of me in front of me, that in the next four years, I don't want my relationship, I don't want the space between us to widen. I don't want the space between us to be defined by a particular political ideology. I want that space between us to grow more and more narrow, more and more short, and that we can be an example that we can have different views and still yet love one another and be in community with each other and even grow closer to one another. And we can work together to make this world a beautiful place where the salt and light of Jesus is shining down in everyone. Father, may we be a church that kind of bucks the trend of this division and be peacemakers and be listeners and go into the tough spaces so that the greater truth of Christ and his kingdom might be known in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Sorry for going over.